I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have just quietly released the first episode of our long-awaited audiobook adaption of Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've submitted it to all the usual streaming platforms, so go and search for it where you listen to podcasts to see it, to see it, to find it, to listen to it. I think that's the point. Podcasts, you don't use your eyes, you use your ears. Anyway, it's going to be available there soon, so you should go and find it um, and see if it's available yet. For more info about the podcast, visit our website, which is www.bnt.org.au. Chapter 12. In consequence of an agreement between the sisters, Elizabeth wrote the next morning to their mother to beg that the carriage might be sent for them in the course of the day. But Mrs. Bennet, who had calculated on her daughter's remaining at Netherfield till the following Tuesday, which would exactly finish Jane's week, could not bring herself to receive them with pleasure before. Her answer, therefore, was not propitious, at least not to Elizabeth's wishes, for she was impatient to get home. Mrs. Bennet sent them word that they could not possibly have the carriage before Tuesday, and in her postscript it was added that if Mr. Bingley and his sisters pressed them to stay longer, she could spare them very well. Against staying longer, however, Elizabeth was positively resolved, nor did she much expect it would be asked, and fearful, on the contrary, as being considered as intruding themselves needlessly long, she urged Jane to borrow Mr. Bingley's carriage immediately, and at length it was settled that their original design of leaving Netherfield that morning should be mentioned and the request made. The communication excited many professions of concern, and enough was said of wishing them to stay at least till the following day to work on Jane, until the morrow their going was deferred. Miss Bingley was then sorry that she had proposed the delay, for her jealousy and dislike of one sister much exceeded her affection of the other. The master of the house heard with real sorrow that they were to go so soon, and repeatedly tried to persuade Miss Bennet that it would not be safe for her, that she was not enough recovered. But Jane was firm where she felt herself to be right. To Mr Darcy, it was welcome intelligence. Elizabeth had been at Netherfield long enough. She attracted him more than he liked, and Miss Bingley was uncivil to her, and more teasing than usual to himself. He wisely resolved to be particularly careful that no sign of admiration should now escape him, nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity, sensible that if such an idea had been suggested, his behaviour during the last day must have material weight in confirming or crushing it. Steady to his purpose, he scarcely spoke ten words to her through the whole of Saturday, and though they were at one time left by themselves for half an hour, he adhered most conscientiously to his book and would not even look at her. On Sunday, after morning service, the separation, so agreeable to almost all, took place. Miss Bingley's civility to Elizabeth increased at last very rapidly, as well as her affection for Jane, and when they parted, after assuring the latter of the pleasure it would always give her to see either her at Longbourn or Netherfield, and embracing her most tenderly, she even shook hands with the former. Elizabeth took leave of the whole party in the liveliest of spirits. They were not, however, welcomed home very cordially by their mother. I very much wonder at your coming in so rushed a manner. 
think it very wrong to have given so much trouble, and I am sure Jane may have caught cold again. But their father, though very laconic in his expressions of pleasure, was really glad to see them. He had felt their importance in the family circle. The uh, evening conversation had lost much of its animation and almost all its sense by your absence. They found Mary, as usual, deep in the study of thorough base and human nature and had some extracts to admire and some new observations of threadbare morality to listen to. Catherine and Lydia had information for them of a different sort. Much had been done and much had been said in the regiment since the preceding Wednesday. Several of the officers had dined lately with their uncle, a private had been flogged, and it had actually been hinted at that Colonel Forster was going to be married. It can hardly be born. Lydia was quite despairing. Chapter 13 As the Bennets were at breakfast the following morning, Mr. Bennet surprised his wife with some news. I hope, my dear, that you have ordered a good dinner today, because I have reason to expect an addition to our family party. Who do you mean, my dear? I know of nobody that is coming, I am sure, unless Charlotte Lucas should happen to call in, and I hope my dinners are good enough for her. I do not believe she often sees such at home. <clears throat> The person of whom I speak is a gentleman and a stranger. Mrs. Bennet's eyes sparkled. A gentleman and a stranger. It is Mr. Binley, I am sure. Oh, well, I am sure I shall be extremely glad to see Mr. Binley. But, good Lord, how unlucky. There is not a bit of fish to be got today. Lydia, my love, ring the bell. I must speak to Mrs. Hill this moment. It is not Mr. Bingley. It is a person whom I never saw in the whole course of my life. This roused a general astonishment, and he had the pleasure of being eagerly questioned by his wife and his five daughters at once. Who is it, Papa? You must tell us at once. After amusing himself some time with their curiosity, he explained thus. About a month ago I received this letter, and about a fortnight ago I answered it, for I thought it a case of some delicacy and requiring early attention. It is from my cousin, Mr Collins, who, when I am dead, may turn you all out of this house as soon as he pleases. Oh, my dear, I cannot bear to hear that mentioned. Pray do not talk of that odious man. And I am sure, if I had been you, I should have tried long ago to do something or other about it. Jane and Elizabeth tried to explain to her the nature of an entail. They had often attempted to do it before, but it was a subject on which Mrs. Bennet was beyond the reach of reason, and she continued to rail bitterly against the cruelty of settling an estate away from a family of five daughters in favour of a man whom nobody cared anything about. <laughs> it is certainly a most iniquitous affair, and nothing can clear Mr. Collins from the guilt of inheriting Longbourn. But if you will listen to his letter, you may perhaps be a little softened by his manner of expressing himself. No, that I am sure I shall not. And I think it is very impertinent of him to write to you at all, and very hypocritical. 
I hate such false friends. Why could he not keep on quarrelling with you as his father did before him? Why, indeed. He does seem to have had some filial scruples on that head, as you will hear. The letter was addressed thus. Huntsford, near Westerham, Kent, 15th October. Dear Sir, the disagreement subsisting between yourself and my late honoured father always gave me much uneasiness, and, since I have had the misfortune to lose him, I have frequently wished to heal the breach. But for some time I was kept back by my own doubts, fearing lest it might seem disrespectful to his memory for me to be on good terms with anyone with whom it had always pleased him to be at variance. There, Mrs. Bennet. <laughs> my mind, however, is now made up on the subject, for having received ordination at Easter, I have been so fortunate as to be distinguished by the patronage of the Right Honourable Lady Catherine de Bourgh, widow of Sir Louis de Bourgh, whose bounty and beneficence has preferred me to the valuable rectory of this parish, where it shall be my earnest endeavour to demean myself with grateful respect towards her ladyship, and be ever ready to perform those rites and ceremonies which are instituted by the Church of England. As a clergyman, moreover, I feel it is my duty to promote and establish the blessing of peace in all families within the reach of my influence, and on these grounds I flatter myself that my present overtures are highly commendable, and that the circumstance of my being next in the entail of Longbourn Estate will be kindly overlooked on your side, and not lead you to reject the offered olive branch. I cannot be otherwise than concerned at being the means of injuring your amiable daughters, and beg leave to apologise for it, as well as to assure you of my readiness to make them every possible amends, but of this hereafter. If you should have no objection to receive me into your house, I propose myself the satisfaction of waiting on you and your family, Monday, November 18th, by four o'clock, and shall probably trespass on your hospitality till the Saturday said night following which I can do without any inconvenience, as Lady Catherine is far from objecting to my occasional absence on a Sunday, provided that some other clergyman is engaged to do the duty of the day. I remain, dear sir, with respectful compliments to your lady and daughters, your well-wisher and friend, William Collins. At four o'clock, therefore, we may expect this peacemaking gentleman. He seems to be a most conscientious and polite young man, upon my word and I doubt not will prove a valuable acquaintance, especially if Lady Catherine should be so indulgent as to let him come to us again. There is some sense in what he says about the girls, however, and if he is disposed to make them any amends, I shall not be the person to discourage him. Though it is difficult to guess in what way he can mean to make us the atonement he thinks is our due, the worst is certainly to his credit. Elizabeth was chiefly struck by his extraordinary deference for Lady Catherine and his kind intention of christening, marrying and burying his parishioners whenever it were required. He must be an oddity, I think. I cannot make him out. There is something very pompous in his style. And what can he mean by apologising for being the next in the entail? We cannot suppose he would help it if he could. Can he be a sensible man, Papa? Uh, no, my dear, I, I think not. I have great hopes of finding him quite the reverse. 
There is a mixture of servility and self-importance in his letter which promises well. I am impatient to see him. In point of composition, the letter does not seem defective. The idea of the olive branch perhaps is not wholly new, yet I think it is well expressed. To Catherine and Lydia, neither the letter nor its writer were in any degree interesting. It was next to impossible that their cousin should come in a scarlet coat, and it was now some weeks since they had received pleasure from the society of a man in any other colour. As for their mother, Mr Collins's letter had done away much of her ill-will, and she was preparing to see him with a degree of composure which astonished her husband and daughters. Mr Collins was punctual to his time, and was received with great politeness by the whole family. Mr Bennet indeed said little, but the ladies were ready enough to talk, and Mr Collins seemed neither in need of encouragement nor inclined to be silent himself. He was a tall, heavy-looking man of five and twenty. His air was grave and stately, and his manners were very formal. He had not been long seated before he complimented Mrs. Bennet on having so fine a family of daughters, said he had heard much of their beauty, but in this instance fame had fallen short of the truth, and added that he did not doubt her seeing them all, in due time, disposed of in marriage. This gallantry was not much to the taste of some of his hearers, but Mrs. Bennet, who quarrelled with no compliments, answered most readily. You are very kind, I am sure, and I wish with all my heart it may prove so, for else they will be destitute enough. Things are settled so oddly. You allude, perhaps, to the entail of this estate? Ah, sir, I do indeed. It is a grievous affair to my poor girls, you must confess. Not that I mean to find fault with you, for such things, I know, are all chance in this world. There is no knowing how estates will go when once they come to be entailed. I am very sensible, madam, of the hardship to my fair cousins, and could say much on the subject, but that I am cautious of appearing forward and precipitate. But... I can assure the young ladies that I come prepared to admire them. At present I will not say more, but perhaps when we are better acquainted. He was interrupted by a summons from Mrs. Hill. Begging your pardon, sir, but dinner is prepared. And the girls smiled on each other. They were not the only objects of Mr. Collins' admiration. The hall, the dining room, and all its furniture were all examined and praised and his commendation of everything would have touched Mrs. Bennet's heart, but for the mortifying supposition of his viewing it all as his own future property. The dinner, too, in its turn, was highly admired, and he begged to know to which of his fair cousins the excellency of its cooking was owed, but he was set right there by Mrs. Bennet, who assured him with some asperity that they were very well able to keep a good cook, and that her daughters had nothing to do with the kitchen. He begged pardon for having displeased her. In a softened tone, she declared herself not at all offended, but he continued to apologise for about a quarter of an hour. Chapter 14 During dinner, Mr. Bennet scarcely spoke at all, but when the servants were withdrawn, he thought it time to have some conversation with his guest, and therefore started a subject in which he expected him to shine, 
by observing that he seemed very fortunate in his patroness. Lady Catherine de Bourgh's attention to his wishes and consideration for his comfort appeared very remarkable. Mr. Bennet could not have chosen better. Mr. Collins was eloquent in her praise. The subject elevated him to more than usual solemnity of manner, and with a most important aspect he protested that I have never in my life witnessed such behaviour in a person of rank, such affability and condescension as I have myself experienced from Lady Catherine. She has been graciously pleased to approve of both of the discourses which I have already had the honour of preaching before her. She has also asked twice that I dine at Rosings, and sent for me personally only the Saturday before to make up her pool of quadrille in the evening. I have heard tell that Lady Catherine is reckoned proud by many people, but I have never seen anything but affability in her. She has always spoken to me as she would to any other gentleman. She made not the smallest objection to my joining in the society of the neighbourhood, nor to my leaving the parish occasionally for a week or two to visit relations. She has even condescended to advise me to marry as soon as I can, providing I choose with discretion, of course. And once she paid visit to my humble parsonage, where she approved of all the alterations I have been making, and even vouchsafed to suggest some herself, uh, some shelves in the closet upstairs. That is all very proper and civil, I am sure. And I dare say she is a very agreeable woman. <laughs> it is a pity that great ladies in general are not more like her. Does she live near you, sir? The garden in which stands my humble abode is separated only by a lane from Rosings Park, her ladyship's residence. I think you said she was a widow, sir. Has she any family? She has only one daughter, the heiress of Rosings, and of very extensive property. Ah, then she is better off than many girls. And what sort of young lady is she? Is she handsome? Oh, she is a most charming young lady indeed. Uh, lady Catherine herself says that, in point of true beauty, Mr. Berg is far superior to the handsomest of her sex, because there is that in her features which marks the young lady of distinguished birth. She is, unfortunately, of a sickly constitution, which has prevented her from making that progress in many accomplishments which she could not have otherwise failed of, as I am informed by the lady who superintended her education, and who still resides with them. But she is perfectly amiable, and often condescends to drive by my humble abode in her little phaeton and ponies. Has she been presented? I do not remember her name among the ladies at court. Her indifferent state of health unhappily prevents her being in town, and by that means, as I told Lady Catherine one day, has deprived the British court of its brightest ornaments. Her ladyship seemed pleased with the idea, and you may imagine that I am happy on every occasion to offer these little delicate compliments, which are always acceptable to ladies. I have more than once observed to Lady Catherine that her charming daughter seemed born to be a duchess, and that the most elevated rank, instead of giving her consequence, would be adorned by her.
These are the kind of little things which please her ladyship, and it is a sort of attention which I conceive myself peculiarly bound to pay. Uh, uh, you judge very properly, um, and it is happy for you that you possess the <clears throat> talent of uh, flattering with delicacy. May I ask whether these pleasing attentions proceed from the impulse of the moment or are the result of previous study? They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time, and though I sometimes amuse myself by suggesting and arranging such little elegant compliments as may be adapted to ordinary occasions, I always wish to give them as unstudied an air as possible. Mr. Bennet's expectations were fully answered. His cousin was as absurd as he had hoped, and he listened to him with the keenest enjoyment, maintaining at the same time the most resolute composure of countenance, and, except in an occasional glance at Elizabeth, requiring no partner in his pleasure. By tea-time, however, the dose had been enough, and Mr. Bennet was glad to take his guest into the drawing-room again, and, when tea was over, glad to invite him to read aloud to the ladies. Mr. Collins readily assented, and a book was produced, but, on beholding it, for everything announced it to be from a circulating library, he started back and, begging pardon, protested that he never read novels. Kitty stared at him, and Lydia exclaimed, other books were produced, and after some deliberation, he chose Fordyce's sermons. Lydia gasped as he opened the volume, and before he had, with very monotonous solemnity, read three pages, she interrupted him with, Did you know, Mamma, that my Uncle Phillips talks of turning Richard away? And if he does, Colonel Forster will hire him. My aunt told me so herself on Saturday. I shall walk to Meryton tomorrow and hear more about it, and to ask when Mr Denny comes back from town. Hush, Lydia, Jane admonished gently. But Mr Collins, much offended, laid aside his book and said, I have often observed how little young ladies are interested by books of a serious stamp, though written solely for their benefit. It amazes me, I confess, for certainly there can be nothing so advantageous to them as instruction. But I will no longer importune my young cousin. Then, turning to Mr. Bennet, Mr. Collins offered himself as his antagonist in backgammon. Mr. Bennet accepted the challenge, observing that he acted very wisely in leaving the girls to their own trifling amusements. Mrs. Bennet and her daughters apologised most civilly for Lydia's interruption and promised that it should not occur again if he would resume his book. But Mr. Collins, after assuring them that he bore his young cousin no ill will and should never resent her behaviour as any affront, seated himself at another table with Mr. Bennet and prepared for backgammon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Ballarat National Theatre's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Directed by Liana Skews, narrated by Olivia French, and adapted for audio by Elizabeth Bradford, Olivia French, and Liana Skews. This episode features the voices of Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennett, Liz Hardiman as Mrs. Bennett, Chris Hiscock as Mr. Bennett, Daisy Kate Kennington as Lydia Bennett, Liana Skews as Jane Bennett, Amelia Pawsey as Kitty Bennett, Kiralee McCullough as Mary Bennett, and introducing Shannon Nichols as Mr. Collins. 
The production team would like to thank Jacqueline Cleverly for her help with dialect advice. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wetherong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of the Wetherong and Wurundjeri people. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. <laughs>